Just as a reminder, you can visit us at thepandapod.com. That's thepandapod.com to grab our RSS feed, listen directly, and share Pandapod with your family and friends. You can also reach us directly via email through podcast at thepandapod.com. Thanks for listening. everybody and welcome to the panda pod um i am one of your hosts rab and i'm joined here of course today by uh my friends jackie hi and wiggy what up and of course jeff hello so it's a full house um and today we are going to be talking about uh more world war ii um and actually world war (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the war's so good that they decided to make it a, to have a sequel. Yeah, um, and so I, um, I what I what I actually want to talk today mostly about is actually the prequel, uh, World War One, because I think that that is very important to understanding, you know, why World War Two happened first of all, but also like what happened during it, and um, you know, uh, and and also understand the aftermath. And the reason I personally think that studying World War II is important is because, um, I mean, that is the moment after World War II that the U.S. emerged as a superpower. Um, And at the moment, I mean, at the time, right, uh, right after World War II, there were kind of, I mean, people were still kind of thinking that the, the British Empire was a superpower a little bit. Um, obviously, they they kind of understood that the the Soviet Union was going to be a rising superpower. So there were multiple superpowers at the time. But I mean, the one that we're left with today is the United States, um, and that's and that happened only at the end of World War II. Um, so so that's why I feel like you know it's so so important to our modern history to understand uh, the events and and what happened there. Yeah, we were we were just a bunch of broke farmers. <laughs> like that's like <laughs> that's what we did. Just a bunch of broke farmers and stead holders. I I wouldn't have thought that. Like I guess that never really popped into my my mind or was never brought to my attention the idea that it wasn't until World War II that we were a superpower. Like in my mind we were already a superpower and we we're like holding off on jumping in, but we had like all of the like gunpowder and manpower just ready to go. But I mean, maybe that wasn't the case. I'd like to hear more about this. Well, I yeah, don't we definitely do, but I think we should talk about it since you're interested. Um, the, 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 one of the first times the U S um, ever uh, conquered like territory I mean, that was like the Mexican-American War, which is before World War II. And I mean, at that point, they were taking land from the Mexican Empire. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, a lot of the U.S. was conquered from native tribes, right? Um, but I mean, the Mexican Empire was 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 a, you know, Western-style state, at least. So that was the first time, probably, that we went to war with with one of those, besides, you know, Great Britain. 
Well, we also have to remember that we pissed off Canada so bad that they came down and burned our White House. So, right. What? How do I not know about this? Hold on. You what? do not know about this? No, I do not. I'm so like a history war. noob. I don't know anything. These episodes are so fun to me. So that happened in 1812. And basically what happened with that war is that um, the U.S. kind of got... I mean, essentially, they they thought maybe that they could, after the Revolutionary War, that they were important enough and powerful enough to start seizing other territory from Great Britain, basically, because Canada is, even today, right, it's part of the British Commonwealth. Um, and so uh, at that time, right, they thought maybe, yeah, let's just go march into Canada and see if we can seize a bunch of it. You know, um, that was sort of the idea. And actually... Um, uh, it was a lot of it was started because um, Irish people came over to the um, the U.S. and they thought, oh, OK, well, um, maybe we can make a colony for ourselves in Canada, like take it from from the U.K. OK. Interesting. And yep. then they got pissed and marched all the way down and <laughs> burned the White House. Yeah, the White House did burn to the ground one time. Um, and that was when that happened. And I think with the modern White House is kind of still what they built after uh, uh, the War of 1812. Yeah, I think they had, like, I think all that was left was, like, the foundation. Like, they yeah. built right on top of where the other one burnt down. I'm going to be honest, I don't really know anything about the Mexican-American War either. Like, when was that? So that was not too much longer after that. I'm going to look up exactly where it is, because, like I said, I didn't put big notes on this. Yeah. Um but uh, let me let me look up on that one because that, that is kind of important. Um, that happened uh, from 1846 to 1848, so okay. that would have been right before the Civil War. That was like, um, uh, I mean, they were kind of still talking about how um, whether or not there was going to be new slave states and stuff. And obviously, when they seized a bunch of territory out west from Mexico, that kind of made that question a lot more prescient, right? Because the, annexa the annexation of Texas is a big one. Yes, yes. The, basically, Texas seceded from Mexico, um, and, uh, and they decided to annex Texas, and Mexico didn't want to recognize that. And so they went to war, and they seized all of, like, Arizona, New Mexico, California, all from the Mexican Empire. Oh, wow. I'm um, really so shocked that I wasn't aware of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what was I learning in school? Well, you did. So I'm going to spill some beans real quick. Uh -huh. You did go to a school that graded you in smiley faces. Uh, so oh, look, it wasn't smiley faces. It was triangles, squares and circles. All right. Yeah. Like, so I don't I don't. the faith of that system is, is, is pretty low. And that that high school no longer exists. So, I mean, it was a failed experiment and that's all right. I'm still here, though, and I feel like I should have learned this at some point. So, wow, that's crazy. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense now that you're saying it. Like, we had never really fought another, like, powerful country. Well, I mean, and, and that's not entirely true either. I mean, um, the uh, we, we fought Spain as well. And this was after um, uh, the Civil War, I believe. It was, yeah, it was the, it was the late 1800s. We had the Spanish-American War where um, the U.S. Uh, decided to invade Cuba, basically, to help them, quote-unquote, overthrow, like, take off the yoke of Spanish oppression, essentially, right? 
Um, and actually, for Cuba, that's not that hasn't worked out too bad. I mean, they didn't end up as a U.S. colony. Um, the Philippines, though, was seized from Spain as well as part of that war. And the Philippines got a lot rougher because they, uh, they for a long time, the Philippines was a U.S. colony. And um, they were not, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe as far as colonial management, it wasn't too bad. But I mean, colonial management is pretty bad in general. Gotcha. And that was not that long right before before World War II. I mean, we're talking about a span of 25 years, something right. like that. Like, it, War, like this is 1890s. It was 1898. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that was not a, it wasn't, those, there were definitely some Spanish-American War veterans who would have been, like, you know, leading and stuff like that in the, uh, the in World War One. Wow. Yeah, and Cuba actually did really well because that's shortly shortly after that time is when a lot of our um like celebrities started going down there and being and like like that's when Cuba really started getting its reputation. Like um like Frank Sinatra and all of them going down to Cuba and you know, smoking Cuban cigars and gambling and all that kinds of stuff, because it used to be America's Vegas. Right. right. For like 40 years. <laughs> so. I forget how young our country really is. Oh, yeah, we're we're so young. We're yeah. so young. Yeah. And I think this is a good segue into. Rab's uh, commentary on on World War One. Yeah, yeah I, sure. I've, I've uh, distracted us enough here. Let's let's continue. Yeah, no, um, that's. I think it's good. I mean, I think if you guys have actual questions about stuff, I mean, even if I got to go look it up, right? I think it's yeah. worth um, exploring actual questions, even if they aren't in my notes. Um, well, I'm not going to not ask them. You're going to hear my questions. Sure, so. <laughs> yeah, a good. Well, a good. I think a good thing to remember is like i don't know how many young listeners we have but i also we also don't know what's being taught in schools over the past like 20 years like what do they teach now sure like like yeah. who who knows what they teach now right yeah, like definitely how far have an history. episode on education at some point. Oh, that's a good point. Like, oh, I can talk about sure. my crazy schooling experience and we can talk about like what the hell is going on with schools today. Like, wow. I, I've read an article the other day about like literacy in Gen A and it is scary. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's not really relevant to this conversation, but we should be talking about that at some point. Well, we Which Gen is Gen A? For that episode. The youngest generation right now. Gen Alpha. Oh, okay. Is that like like my son's generation yes he's a okay well i mean he's my, he's my eight year old because that's after z right they had yeah. to have somewhere to go after z mm -hmm. so my eight-year-old to be confused with gen a from forrest gump i just need it correct, correct. Gen, gen a gen a <laughs> although from what i read they kind of sound like that gen a what are you learning in school gen a i so what is the generation between not us. Oh, what is the generation of current 17-year-olds? Zoomers, right? That would be like the tail end of the Zoomer age, yeah. I have so many questions. I don't even know. We can uh, talk Gen about Z. it at a later time. 
but yeah. Jesus Christ. Okay, good. Anyway, what we've learned from World this once again, <laughs> once we've two. learned from what we've learned from this once again is that we're old as fuck, and, and that we did, and we don't know. We're, none of us are experts in anything, and we don't know when it actually happened. Because I still feel like like I, I just turned thirty nine, and I still feel thirty. Like I don't understand. My my mind isn't any older. I didn't, sure as fuck haven't learned anything new. Well, speaking of things that are old as fuck, and we don't know when they actually happen, let's discuss some history. World War II. World War II. Um, so anyways, I um like I said, I kinda want to um I feel like to understand history you kinda have to understand the context that it happened in, right? So that's why I think it's worth spending time on things like uh, you know, the Spanish American War. Um, but uh last time we kind of gave like a broad outline of the beginning of World War II. So I want to go even further back and kind of zoom in on the beginning of the beginning. Um, which is World War One, and um, a lot of people see it this way, and I do as well. Which is that World War One and World War Two are kind of the same war with an eighteen-year truce in them. Yeah, um, yeah, just like sure. a really long ceasefire. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and even the combatants are pretty much like it's it's the same, you know, uh, chuckleheads on both sides. Uh, I mean, in World War Two, sorry, in World War One. Um, the Allies had Italy on their side, but at that point, Italy was less than 100 years old. I mean, they were basically just formed, so they were nearly... What? Yeah, Italy has has not been around for long, um, at least the modern Italian state. Um, yeah, the Roman Empire split into multiple parts, and it wasn't, it wasn't until about that time when they, they coalesced into the one Italy state with Rome being yeah, its Italy, own thing. Italy formed the, the modern Italy uh, state. It, it unified in 1861, and it became a republic in 1946, which is at the end of World War uh, or World War II. So, um, so yeah, it, it, there was a there's a through line from 1861 to 1946 of like the Italian kingdom slash empire. You know, Mussolini when he was ruling it, it was the Italian Empire. Um, and uh, but I mean that that's that's a less than a hundred year period. Before that, Italy was basically just like a collection of city-states. Wow. Okay. So, like, when you hear about, like, the history of Venice or, like, Genoa or, like, uh, Rome or something, like, the, uh, I mean, obviously Rome's a little different, but the, those, those cities, they had their own, like, kind of um, uh, stories and, and what have you. But they, they weren't really a, a thing until the, the mid-late 1800s. Yeah, Venetia was its own like area right so yeah anyways um uh it, also it's the case that in world war one uh the axis had austria-hungary um and austria-hungary actually controlled a lot of um what became modern italy um so i mean at the, at the height of austria's power they controlled like a lot of north italy um so so that's part of the reason that italy is so you know, new and so weak here is because of the fact that, you know, Austria literally just had what we can, a lot of what we consider Italy as part of their empire. 
Um, and, and yeah, so Austria was on the side of the Axis in World War II, uh, or sorry, World War One, which was, which, I mean, it, it was called the Central Powers in World War One, but I'm calling it Axis Powers since this is a World War II discussion. Um, and so Austria-Hungary was on, on, on the Central Powers slash Axis side. Um, and most of Austria-Hungary, like that ended, that empire ended at the end of World War One. Um, but uh, Austria was absorbed into Germany right at the beginning of World War II. Hungary was on the uh, Axis side. Um, Croatia and Romania, they were both um, part of Austria-Hungary, and they, they were on the Axis side as well. Bulgaria, some of Bulgaria was part of, um, of Austria-Hungary and, and also on the Axis side. So, I mean, it's like you kind of get the same peoples, even if you don't get the same nations, right? Gotcha. Okay. Um, also, in World War One, um, the Central Powers had the Ottomans, who uh, at the end, they didn't exist by the time of World War Two. The, the World War One basically ended that empire as well. Hell, that's not relevant. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyways, the major powers that were on the same side in both wars are France, UK, US, Russia, Germany, and Bulgaria. Um. So uh, anyways, to, 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 to kind of zoom in even further, I want to talk about um, the histories of particular countries. Um, because, and, and when I say histories, I mean um, the periods leading up to World War I through um, World War I and after, like during the, the interim between World War I and World War II. Um, and I have these divided into a couple of categories. Um, and I'm going to start with Germany and Russia, because I think that they're really important. And I'm, I intend that if, you know, next time we do World War II, you know, really focused on World War I, we'll probably come back to um, France, UK, and US, because I kind of see those as one block. Um, and then the third block I have in here is China and Japan. Um, they were fairly weak and just kind of getting started in World War One, but I do think it's important. That's kind of like a uh, put a footnote in that one, because they're very important in World War Two. Okay. Okay, so um, I have here, I'm going to kind of just go through like a broad outline of um, historical dates. And I would say just like stop me if you have any questions or um, uh, I'll kind of like pause in between, I guess, so that people can give people uh, a word in edgewise. Because I don't want to just list a make a list of historical dates. Otherwise, I'll get through my notes really fast and we won't have anything to talk about. <laughs> okay. Um, so I have here uh, in 1848, Karl Marx writes the Communist Manifesto. And it's important to note that at this point, I mean, Karl Marx is a German guy. He was living in London. And he is, um, at that point, Germany did not exist either. Um, they, uh, it was the same situation as Italy. They were a collection of not city-states necessarily, but kind of small fiefdoms. And also, uh, I mean, I really don't want to get all the way back to Napoleonic times, but a lot of the reason that they're so small and broken up depends on Napoleonic stuff. So I, I, I won't I'm going <laughs> to jump in on you right here. Yeah. So what? One thing to keep in mind about this area of the world is that this is the area of the world where, for the past 5,000 years, all war took place. It has been conquered and reconquered and reconquered and reconquered 
by all of the big, um, uh, all of the the big conquests from from history, Napoleon, Alexander the Great, like Rome itself, like this area has been conquered and reconquered and broken up into bits and pieces forever. Well, I, um, I do think that probably the reason it appears that way to you is because we um, we have a big focus on like European history in the U.S. But, I mean, like, Alexander the Great, that's one example you gave. I mean, he went east. He conquered um, uh, yeah, yeah. almost all the way to India. Like, he was conquering Iran. Uh, well, they didn't call it Iran at the time, but, like, that's 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 where Alexander the Great was. But that's, but that, but that's what I'm saying to my point. Like, like, these places didn't exist with the names that we know now because people were just doing that. Sure. <laughs> like, like just all over the place. People were just doing that. Remember, the entire West wasn't a thing unless right. you were like Native American or or South American, right? Like there was no it as far as history is concerned as we know it, we don't know anything about the history going back that far on this side of the world. So the history of wars all happened that we study all happened there. Right, right. Well, um, the people have been calling themselves Alamein, um, which which is one of the names of the tribes that ruled uh, Germany at the end of um, uh, near the Roman Empire times. Um, so, so the so the word German has existed, existed for a long time, and there's been a German people for a long time, but there wasn't a Germany. Until pretty recently, um, and uh, 1871 is when um, uh, the Empire of Germany was founded, um, and that was founded. Basically, uh, Prussia decided that they were big enough to um, kind of, uh, um, I guess, absorb a lot of the other German states, um, and of course, a lot of people at the time. They wanted this. You know, they kind of saw the U.S. and what was happening in the U.S. and also the U.K. and France and seeing those nations doing so, like, good for their citizens. I mean, maybe bad for the rest of the world, but they, they saw those nations basically, like, conquering and, um, and, and bringing home spoils. And they wanted that, too. So they thought, well, the only way to do that is if we stop, you know, bickering amongst ourselves about which... Uh, you know, German power it should be the one in charge, and and I mean, Prussia was 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 pretty strong as well. So that's that's kind of how uh, Germany came to be. Um, and then I have in here uh, in uh, 1889 um, the fa the formation of the Second International, um, which is an alliance between German and French working. Um, so. Uh, those, like, the, the first international was, uh, like, a, a, a group of communist leaders who kind of got together. Um, the second international, um, it excluded a lot of the anarchists. Um, and, and that was, I think, kind of intentionally done because those people, they, the people were starting to realize, at least the people who, who attended the second international was starting to believe, right? That they that they needed some kind of state in order to they need to seize some kind of state in order to to achieve their goals. 
Um, and, and the reason I have this in here is because it leads into what was happening at the beginning of World War II, sorry, World War I. So I was, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, um, 1889 to 1912, uh, when the SPD, which is the, the German Social Democratic Party, um, got 34.8% of the vote and became the largest party in the German parliament. Um, so this is still before World War I. Um, and they were still excluded from government, meaning that they were um, not uh, like basically the other parties were able to form a coalition that allowed um, them to, to be excluded from government. Right. When, when you have a parliamentary system, you, you choose which parties like it's whatever parties can make a, a big enough coalition to get 50 percent. That's who gets to elect the prime minister. And, and nobody wanted to work with the Socialist Party, despite the fact that they had 33 percent of the vote. And then uh, July 28th, 1914, World War I breaks out. Um, so that's two years later. So this is still in the context of SPD having, you know, majority of the government. Um, and August 4th, 1914, only a couple days later, uh, despite the Second International having ruled that, that the members would oppose war between European powers, the SPD and other socialists, the, the leadership of other socialist parties in Europe, agreed to support their own government. Um, and this was a move that was kind of like driven by leadership and opposed by most members. Um, and and, and that, the reason that I think that's so important is because I, like I kind of see World War I as almost like a multi-country tampdown on the working class movements that were arising at the time. Um, and I'm not saying that it was necessarily like... Oh, 100%. I agree with you. Right, right. And I'm, I'm not saying that it's necessarily like a conspiracy among like, um, uh, like the crown heads of Europe or whatever. Like, I'm not trying to say that, it, that, that they agreed to get, got together and were like, how are we going to stop this working class thing? Let's slaughter millions of people, right? I don't, I, I'm not necessarily saying that's what they were doing. I mean, maybe they were, but I think it's more along the lines of they kind of started to individually realize that their interests like needed to kind of take them to war. Um, and, and, and to kind of illustrate that, like the, in that election in 1912, when the SPD um, got 34.8% of the vote, the Liberal Party, who ended up in charge, like they were um, really pushing war as a way to get more votes in the election. Like they were um, spitting out a lot of propaganda about like Russia encroaching on Germany and stuff like that um, in order to try to get more votes. Um, so I think that there was a lot of that happening. I think that, that there was a lot of people seeing, you know, working class movements, uh, rise up, um, getting scared and kind of seeing like, they just kind of see naturally, right. That, that one way to avoid that, or, I mean, not necessarily like that they, that they intentionally went to war to avoid it, but like one way to avoid that is, is war propaganda, just like what's happening today. Right. Like with all the anti-China rhetoric, right? It's a way to to get people focused on something other than the problems at home. Yeah, it's definitely one of the reasons why we're in forever wars. It's definitely one of the reasons, and and this is, I mean, this is proven, like especially in our lifetime, ever since nine eleven, like the government has just used the excuse of 
dangers abroad to make sure that there was something bigger happening right that us need to worry about and when and and then conveniently when we were no longer at war for the very short period of time that we haven't been at war ever since we were you know in high school COVID happened and then we right. went right back to war. So, well, I mean, it, it, realistically, we were at war. The Af- the, uh, the the war in Afghanistan was still going on then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we've never, we just never not been at war. <laughs> right, right. That's the twenty five years. And 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 so that the the threads of that reach back through time. Um, and 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 they were still they were happening even at the beginning of World War One. War, or at least like the threat of war, as a distraction. Something um, something I want to cut in on you on here oh, is sure, a hundred, literally a hundred years before that was the French Revolution. Right. And that was really the first big overthrow from like the people, especially speaking of powerful nations in that area. Right. I mean, right. France is France was was a gigantic gigantic power at the time and so and so for you know the people to rise up and fucking guillotine (laughs) you know louis the sixth and and yeah louis the 14th i think actually yeah louis the 14th i'm sorry um you know it's it's you know in the marie antoinette yeah. And all that stuff, you know, like like this started even like even before that. <laughs> I just well, wanted to bring that up like 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 from a from a like a people rising up sure. because of of that kind of rule. Like Yeah. And and I'm hand waving a lot of this because if if I mean ultimately really all of history is like one story, right? I mean, and everything's related. So it's it's you have to start somewhere, and since this is World War II. That's the only reason I chose not to go all the way back to the Napoleonic times, because probably if I if I really wanted to follow it, I mean, you can go you can go further back than that, because, I mean, you have the French Revolution before that. Right. I mean, Napoleon's only part of the French Revolution. That's um, something we should have another episode on. Yeah, we definitely should talk about the French Revolution and um, Napoleon. Um, Mike Duncan has a great series on the French Revolution. So anybody who likes podcasts, go listen to that. Um, I mean, it's like 72 episodes long, so have fun. Um, but it's amazing. Um, so, uh, anyways, um, just to, just to kind of highlight like how important um, the uh, working class and like working class politics are to like the beginning of World War One. Um, in January 1918, before World War One was even over, one million workers across Germany go on strike all at once. Um, so that's, uh, that, that alone probably has some, uh, effect on the fact that, you know, in November of that year, World War One is over and, uh, Germany, um, is one of the losers, right? Not to say that they, that they, you know, did that on purpose to make their country lose, but I mean, so many people were dying in the war, right? That, that. Uh, a lot of a lot of low level workers wanted it to end and never really wanted to start in the first place. I mean, the Second International ruled that that there shouldn't be war between European powers and that the Socialist Party should oppose that. But the leadership kind of betrayed them and uh, and decided to support the government. Quick, interject. Um, 
there something happened in Russia at the exact same time. Is that That's correct? Yeah, on- I have Russia okay. on in the same category because um, it's very important. Like what happens in Russia is also very important. The nineteen seventeen is the Russian Revolution, right? So yep. we missed that step, and and the Russian and German revolutions are very related. But I just kind of grouped them uh, into. Um, to focus on Germany and then come back to Russia. Okay. That's why I put these two together. Um, so anyways, uh, November 11th, 1918, world war one is over. Um, Oh, in March 3rd, 3rd, 1918, I missed that one. March 3rd, 1918, Russia signs a separate peace with the central powers, mainly Germany, right? Because Germany was really where the war was being fought with Russia. Um, and, uh, and then in early November, 1918, even before the end of world war one, some people say, um, the German Revolution happened, right? Um, so, like, literally right after World War One, or right even even right before the end, um, uh, the 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 old government's deposed, and the SPD comes into power. So now a socialist party, the one that that sided with the government, is ruling Germany. Um, and uh, in January 1919, so that only a couple months after that. Um, more like some more radical communists revolt against the SPD-led German government. Um, that's and that's called the Spartacus Uprising. So it has one of the most badass names in history, I'd say. Um, they uh, and and so what happens there is that the SPD, who's in power, they work with the right-wing Freikorps, um, which is like a, a a militia of World War One veterans to violently put down the, the left-wing revolution against them and execute the leaders. Um, uh, Rosa Luxemburg, if you've ever heard of her name, she died. Um, she was killed um, because of her participation in that revolution. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, January 1923 is the first attempted Nazi coup. And so what I'm trying to say here is kind of paint a picture, right? There's a direct thread between the Socialist Party's cooperation with that right-wing militia and the Nazi overthrow of the German government and the eventual ending of their republic and, you know, the Third Reich. Yeah, the I think one of the, the big key things to mention here is one of the big things that allowed Hitler's rise to power during that period was his his anger at the the SPD for signing the the treaty right and going al- and going along with the punishments that would come down on on them um and it, it, because the the country was left completely impoverished and like there was just starving people everywhere essentially and so that's really where where he got his his stump from um, and where that started germany was forced to sign an extremely punitive treaty um uh where they had to they had to make uh indemnity payment to france for you know some absurd number of francs um and uh that was part of what caused hitler's rise to power as part of what caused hyperinflation in germany um, and, you know, I mean, none of that stuff can be removed from the reasons, um, uh, that World War II happened. Um, but I mean, I, I just, I just wanted to highlight the fact that, you know, 
what happened internally um, kind of led to it, too. Yeah, for sure. So you guys want to jump into Russia? Yeah, buddy. Okay. Let's do it. So uh, Russia, I I don't have a lot of history before um, the uh, before 1917, the Russian Revolution. I didn't write down anything that happened at the beginning of World War One. And the reason I kind of omitted that stuff is because I don't see it as all that important. Uh, the context that Russia was in leading up to the revolution is that they had a very um, weak state um, because, like, they were an empire. They were a large empire. But it was also, like, it had very, very low centralization. Um, they basically let a bunch of dukes and then, you know, counts and then whatever whatever they called the titles, I don't know. But they let their nobles kind of run rampant. Um, I mean, maybe they didn't have a choice, but but they also... Uh, they had a lot of problems with um, enforcing laws and that kind of stuff, really even forming the laws to begin with. They barely had a constitution. There was a constitutional crisis. There was even a revolution, I think, in like 1909 or something like that failed. Um, so they, they really were really having not a great time of it. Um, and so they entered World War I um, and uh, they tried their best to defend against Germany, um, didn't do that great, had a lot of failures. And that led to even during the war, right, February 1917, that's still during the war, there's a revolution to overthrow the Tsar. And that one is successful. Um, yeah, yeah Nicholas, Nicholas decided to go to war with Japan. And they lost terribly. Right. And that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons outside of, you know, all the civil unrest and everything else that was going on that led to that led to that takeover. Right. That was during 1904 and 1905. And so that kind of triggered the very first um, uh, like Russian attempted revolution um, is seeing how bad the military got wrecked by Japan. I mean, yeah, that's Sunday, were... bloody Sunday. Yeah. People were very um, racist, too, in general, and they just kind of like were like, wow, just got our asses kicked by, you know, insert racial slur here for Japanese people. Um, and, and they, I mean, they basically saw Asians as backwards. And so they, um, they were very surprised. And it allowed people to kind of see the Russian state for what it is, which was very weak. Um, yeah, so that's 1904, 1905. Yeah, thanks for thanks for providing that. I think that is important to kind of set the context for uh, for for how it played out. Um, I'm yeah, with you. I got you. I got your back. <laughs> so yeah, 19 February 1917 is the revolution to overthrow the Tsar, the Tsar, and that that one is actually a liberal revolution. Um, they don't kill the Tsar right away. Um, they uh, they kind of just put him under lock and key. His family under lock and key. Whatever. Um, they, they also, um, form like different governments. They basically become a Republic. Um, this is also the disappearance of, and where the story of Anastasia comes from. Correct. Yeah. That's a little later on when, um, the communists come to power though, because they're the ones who actually killed the Tsar and his family. Yep. Um, so, so in November 19, November 7th, 1917, um, is the communist revolution to overthrow the liberal government. Uh, in the beginning of what's called the Russian Civil War. Um, so uh, the 
that the Germans, interestingly enough, actually made a decision to send Vladimir Lenin back to Russia. That was a decision that the German government took for, for prudence in World War I. Like to, to, to have a better time in World War I, they said, okay, let's send this guy back to, uh, to, to Russia so he can destabilize their government. And he did. Um, so uh, they were successful in, in, um, in overthrowing the government. And um, in March 3rd, 1918, Russia surrendered, surrendered to Germany. I already mentioned that one. But it's very significant. I mean, that didn't happen very long after um, the communists, you know, came to power. And at the beginning of their time in power, they weren't very strong. Um, I mean, we only say that they came to power in November 7, 1917, because that's when the revolution started. But really, it went all the way through, you know, like the, the 1920s with the Russian Civil War. Um, and so, you know, at the, at the time, the communists were extremely weak. And so they decided to surrender to Germany kind of as like a, there's not really much of a point in fighting me type deal. Um, a stabilization effort. Exactly. And they also, everybody believed at the time, including all the way back to Karl Marx, everybody believed that Germany was going to be the first real revolution. Even after the Russian revolution was successful and the communists came to power, um, they still believed that Germany was going to be the first real one. And the reason for that is because Germany actually had a strong capitalist system. Um, and, and, I mean, the way that Marx predicted things would happen is that, um, the, uh, that the places where the capitalist system was the strongest would actually evolve into communism. That was his prediction. Now, I mean, that hasn't been bared out by history, really. Um, but that is that is what everybody at the time believed. All the communists did. Very interesting. So, so basically, part of Russia's surrender to Germany was the fact that they thought that, well, we're we're surrendering and and getting extremely bad terms. They got terrible terms from um, from Germany. They were they were thinking like, well, we're surrendering to a government that's not going to be around much longer. I mean, and they're right, right? Because uh, there was a German Revolution too. But um, it's also the case that um, they didn't, um, uh, you know, they, they thought that that was going to be more, that the that, that Germans were going to turn around and kind of lead the global communism and that they weren't really going to have to worry about it. So once the government, once the German government did collapse, did that cancel out all the stuff that they had to pay, that the Russians had to pay them? Or? No, the Russians didn't really have to pay anything. I mean, maybe they did. I don't know. But they mostly surrendered a treaty. They mostly surrendered on a treaty that had really bad terms as far as them losing territory. Germany oh, okay. wanted to create a bunch of buffer states in between them and Russia. And so, like, Finland becomes independent at this point. Estonia, a lot of Poland, Ukraine. Ukraine was independent at the end of World War I. Um, and so, uh, essentially, the story of the, civil, the Russian Civil War, and I have it in here as the next thing in my notes, like in the in the 1920s, like sorry, in 1920 is really when it starts turning around for the communists and they start actually winning. And at that point, they start reconquering territory that became independent as part of their treaty with Germany. So that's the part where they like reconquer Ukraine. They, you know, make Estonia into a Soviet republic, like that kind of stuff. Gotcha. How it was taught, how, see, and this is where I know we're going to have a, a separate conversation about some of this stuff, but... 
so with there's things going on with Russia and Ukraine right now, yeah. <laughs> obviously. Right. And this is kind of where that the where the friction starts, because what happens is Ukraine becomes from from how I was taught the history <laughs> is that Ukraine actually became quite powerful on its own and was actually quite a bit more powerful than Russia was. However, we're getting into the start of the um, formation of the Soviet Union. Right. Where where the Ukraine was, was essentially pressured into this because they didn't want to give up their own government their own governing power over themselves. They had a really hard time with that. Right. Um, and they were pressured really hard to join the Soviet Union. Well, they were so, also pressured through military force. Um, and through, yeah, and through military force. So right. when, when we're looking at what's happening now, this is something to think back on. Sure. Yes. Because there was, there, there's this conflict has happened ever since Russia, like Ukraine was its own state, then Russia took it over, and then it was its own state again. And sure. like so, so when you're thinking about this, that's important to know. And well, and it was, was also before that it was part of Russia because um, as part yeah. of the treaty, it became yeah. free. I mean, it was it's really it's really a complicated history for sure. Um, and also, uh, it, it, what 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 I think what you're talking about um, with Ukraine becoming so powerful, like during the Civil War. The white army, which is who was fighting the red army, right? The red army was the communists. The white army is the other side, basically, right? They they essentially retreated to the territories that um, that Germany had freed because you know those like they had legitimate governments who were ruling them, right? So they could kind of be like, well, you know, now we're going to fight to keep Ukraine independent from Russia, right? So like they were they. Um, as they kind of realized that that what was legally Russia itself was a lost cause, they kind of retreated to the fringes. And there was a lot of fighting in Siberia. There was a lot of fighting in Ukraine. There was a lot of fighting in Poland. Um, and, uh, you know, that that's the kind of the story of the Russian Civil War. You know, for a good chunk of this conversation, <clears throat> I was only really thinking of countries as like groups of people. And not really thinking about it in the like land sense. It wasn't really until the the Russia Germany part just then that the amount of land that we're talking about here is really significant. Sure, yeah, we're talking about vast swaths of land. Yeah, like yeah. like majority of Europe, kind of significant, you know. And yeah, I don't know why, like. When I think about war and stuff, I don't think about that. But I mean, obviously, that comes like resources and sure. you know places for people to fucking live, you know. So I mean, I, I guess I'm I don't know that that was like a, something that clicked in my head that maybe has never really clicked in my head before. So. Well, Ukraine um, is today. I mean, I don't know exactly what their territory was like back then, but today, I mean, I, I this is off Wikipedia, so it may have changed a little bit with the Ukrainian war. They are the 45th largest country on earth. I mean, and that was part of Russia. So, I mean, that gives you some idea of how huge Russia is. Yeah, and, and they are 
a mineral rich area. They yes. they very they very much are, especially with and and especially with farmland, which is really important in that area because of the fucking cold. And right. <laughs> how hard it is to grow foods. Right. They're on the south the south um uh west side of Russia and and they they border a sea and so that makes it a very attractive place to grow a lot of grain. Um, and so that was that was one of the main reasons why Russia wanted it back, why the Soviets thought it was important. Um, so and then, that's why they took Crimea in particular, because that is right there on the sea, right? That's yeah, that's why they wanted to take Crimea from that's part of the reason they want to take Crimea that's from right. Ukraine back in um, 2014 or whatever. Uh-huh. It's also a very important, very important militarily because it's a port. Sure. Sure. Yep. Um, and actually, um, the the why Ukraine had Crimea in the first place, like that goes back to um, to internal Soviet politics. So it's like a you know it's a whole thing. Um, but um, this isn't this isn't even a podcast episode about the Ukraine war. I'm sure we could do a fun one on that. Um, uh, but anyways, at the end of my notes here, I have um, uh, January 1924. Lenin dies and Stalin comes to power. So. Um, it's you know kind of just to give you guys some context, Stalin has has been in power about ten years um, uh, when uh, when World War One World War Two starts right, um, and he spends that time um, purging a lot of people like imprisoning them, um, you know removing them from government, a lot of instability in the sense of uh, people didn't really know where they stood like that was kind of the instability they were dealing with. Um, effectively what the, what the Soviets ended up having to do was, um, they, they kind of started to realize, I mean, by 1924, right, that the German revolution just wasn't going to happen, right? Because 1924, that's after that first Nazi coup that ends with Hitler in prison, right? And I mean, maybe they don't know that Hitler's going to become the leader of Germany. They probably aren't psychic, Right. But they can kind of see the writing on the wall of the fact that that Germany's not coming to save the day. Um, and so a lot of what Stalin did, I mean, the, the crimes he committed were effectively Soviet. Uh, the Soviets kind of realized that um, they were going to have to do capitalism before they could do communism. So Russia was like a, a republic, a medieval or sorry, medieval uh, kingdom, right, or empire, um, with um, with a bunch of peasants. Like most people there were peasants, and and the Soviets realized that in order to do to 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 reach communism, they were first going to have to turn those peasants into workers because you need workers for communism, right? Um, and so the the great purges and all that stuff that Stalin did, like the 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 purpose of it, whether it's right or wrong, the purpose was to um to forcibly turn those peasants into workers i did not know that so, yeah. so something i want to say i want to say real quick so i just did a, a history check here um so this is stalin before world war ii according to his policies okay so the one thing that that rad mentioned is all the political people right that he took out when he became um when he kind of took over 
Um, and that's actually has a name and it's called the Great Purge. Um, right. And it ranged from hundreds of thousands to over a million people. Right. And the second one is the Ukrainian famine. Um, okay, so this is a man-made famine that led to the deaths of millions of Ukrainians, somewhere in between three to seven million people. Wow. He then had gulag labor camps, which Rav just, Rav just mentioned. Millions of people were sent to gulags, and they they don't know the exact numbers of people um, that, that were killed by that. But, I mean, we're, we're talking, once again, we're talking millions um there was also uh uh cossacks right so there was the decossackization and deportion and deportations of ethnic minorities um so this is all this is literally millions of people again um total estimates give him six to nine million people this is before world war ii and some estimates are even higher. But one thing to keep in mind is Stalin killed Stalin. I, I believe the the correct the correct number is he tripled the amount of deaths in total over his people than Hitler did. Like like this is like he 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 tripled the numbers. Yeah, um, I, I really don't know. I, there's a lot of debate about about like the no the, about the exact numbers. Yeah, the yeah. exact numbers. There's lots of debates about the exact numbers. But yeah, so I don't but, I don't get want to get into that too much. But what what I what I kind of want to say is like I think that um you you can kind of see leading up to World War One and World War Two, like the UK, France, and even Germany, they they have capitalist revolutions that happen that turn them into um uh, they, they take them from you know groups of peasants to uh capitalists and workers but that's oh, those those ones got to happen much 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 slower than what the communists were trying to do in russia they were basically trying to turn a peasant uh country into capitalists and workers in 10 years and so like i mean i i don't necessarily think that it was a good idea for Stalin to do all that stuff but I mean that was the goal um and and it's it's kind of interesting because it like as Lenin was dying there was another current in Russia that basically like in Russia or sorry in Soviet leadership that kind of said that like well the German revolution is not going to happen we did our thing by preventing and because whenever they whenever November the November revolution happened they kind of the communist seizing power was to prevent a extremely anti-Semitic um, and uh, and fascist party from seizing power. Um, so they were kind of like there was another current apart from Stalin's current that was like we did our thing. Let's just surrender back to the liberals. Let's give the government back to the liberals and let them do capitalism. So that way the blood will be on their hands. And and then the communists can come back once we have capitalism in Russia, right? But Stalin really wanted to stay. I mean, and, and it kind of makes sense, right? Stalin, the Soviets, they wanted to stay in power, and they and they saw those purges and all that stuff as the only way to do it. That is crazy, super grim. Yeah, yeah. it's it's I mean, super crazy. Grim. Very grim. Yeah, yeah. I, I I certainly don't 
I, I definitely don't want to make it sound like that stuff is justified any more than 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 Hitler's justified because uh, Germany got a massive indemnity, you know, that they had to pay. Right. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of people doing terrible things um, for reasons that you kind of understand, I guess. That's 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 more what I, the story I'm trying to tell. History, when when we speak about this stuff from the side of history, right, we're talking about uh, about things that happen. We're not talking about people's, like, like thought processes into how they got to where they were going, right? Like, this is, it, it's, it's, this is not a, like, uh, like you're saying, like, this is not like we're trying to humanfy like like these decisions or anything sure. like 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 there people made decisions that were very wrong during this period of time, during sure. this period sure. of time however all, there were a lot of things going on right um and so and so i mean we make bad decisions based on very small fucking things that go bad right like imagine imagine trying to come up with solutions to some of these problems like they definitely did them in the wrong way but it just imagine having to try to come up with solutions to these problems it's sure crazy. yeah i mean yeah i'm sure that people many people i mean people in stalin's position would certainly um most people right if they were put in that position if they just woke up in that position they would simply lose right they would simply cede power because the forces arrayed against them would be too great right um, and, 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 you know, the fact that Stalin was able to hang on to power by doing all this, like that doesn't make it right, but it's like, you know, it's he, what happened. Yeah. He it's is, the type of person. he is, he, he was the type of person to seize power in the first place. Right. Um, he, he didn't just wake up there. Right. He's the type of person who, um, who actually, you know, had the drive and motivation and what have you. To, to get there, to stay in power, no matter the cost. So of course that person's gonna want to stay there, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Hundred yeah. yeah. percent. I mean, it's, I yeah. mean, the alternative it's is probably death, right? Like it's yeah. just a sociopath, right? Yeah. yeah, and the alternative is probably death. Like, like that's how these things generally work, right? Sure. Like, if sure. you're in power, like if you can't stay in power, you're probably just gonna get whacked. Sure. Like. Sure. Especially during this time frame, like people, they would just walk up on you and you'd be, you'd be dead. Like, so, so, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, he became incredibly paranoid like yeah. to the point of ridiculousness. Well, also and to the point they of all do. He, 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 he was in part of the great purges. He had, um, like he was scared of doctors and that was a code for, for Jewish people to some degree. Right. Um, yeah. So even, even Stalin, I mean, like communist hero or whatever, was doing that kind of stuff, too. I mean, I, there's a lot of debate about all that stuff and the numbers and what have you. Like, there's plenty of people who like who who go online and say Stalin did nothing wrong. That that I think is more of a that's like a trite summary of it. Right. Um, that's kind of trying to say, like, uh, you know, how do you like who would what would what, what, what you were saying a second ago, like. How, what would you do in that situation? Like, you know, how would you hang on to power? You definitely wouldn't be able to. This is like a really, really fucked up trolley scenario, like trolley problem. 
Right. <laughs> you know, like you're tied up on the tracks on one side and the train's coming at you and one person is on the other side. You can and you have a button. You can hit it and it'll kill them instead of you. I think most people just wouldn't do that. Yeah. And then and then you go like, OK, well, OK, you're now you're a bad person. But would, what about if there's two people there, you know? And then all of a sudden, okay, well, what if there's like 35 million people there? Stalin's the person that's like, yeah, I'm going to hit the button. And we all know that person, right? Like, yeah, (laughs) you know that person. They exist for sure. I mean, if you go back in time, if you could go back in time and stop the Russian Revolution, I mean, one of the things, if you stopped it in November 7th, 1917, you basically have um, the, the black faction coming to power, which they were fascists who wanted to do uh purges of jews in in russia um and if you stopped it in 1924 like if you just killed stalin right as, as soon as Lenin was dying i mean you probably take out one of the major reasons the nazis lost so like i mean i'm not tr- once again really not trying to justify what stalin did right right or, or even say he's a good person or that that the soviets were good overall i mean without it one way or the other it's just that there's so many bad things that they did fight, I guess. That's one thing you can say. Oh, so something something I want to point out here real quick. So we talked about the Purge, right? We're talking about him trying to cling to power and everything else. And one of the craziest things, because trivia is fun, right? Is that Stalin was known for altering photographs. And this by removing people from photos that were taken in order to completely remove them from history. So he would take photos with people who were in his inner circle and then airbrush them out of the photo after he killed them. (laughs) Yeah, that's That's hilarious. So so the big one is... um, that like the most famous example is Nikolai Yezkov. He was the head of the Soviet secret police during the purge. Um, and part of like Stalin's inner circle later, Stalin had him arrested and executed and then airbrushed him out of an official photograph that was, that would, would stay in his office, (laughs) but had him airbrushed out to make sure that he was like, like essentially erased from history as well, his part work. in it. Yeah, it didn't work, but it's bananas. Yeah, that's <laughs> really funny. Like that's kind of like um, arrested development level of funny. Yeah, 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 sure. yeah, it's bananas <laughs> funny. It's like if it's like if we're doing this podcast, right? If for some reason I got in an argument with Rab, and then went through and took all the audio. And just removed Rab's part from it. <laughs> I'm definitely going to go through and do a little bit of that in this episode just to make people laugh. I'll just leave dead air, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Then we have the Rab Ultra Cut.
So and, uh, while we're on Stalin trivia, um, I, I think this is pretty fun. I think he was actually one of the coolest guys before the Russian Revolution because he was um, he was he was, was not so cool. Well, <laughs> yeah, unlike the rest of the cadre that that kind of did it, um, like did the revolution, he was he was not a intellectual. Like a lot of them, Lenin, Trotsky, they were um, people who were either like high middle class or like low nobility, kind of the same thing, right? They were in that um, uh, level of, of economics and they also had educations and they did a lot of like arguing in cafes about how the government should be run and stuff. And Stalin was basically just a peasant who like um he just kind of pulled himself up and um and uh and and, and was it like he was a gangster basically actually um in 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 one incident in 1907 he um he was one of the main people who uh, organized a train robbery um to fund the the revolutionary activities um and they managed to steal 241,000 rubles from uh a uh a bank stagecoach, and they attacked. They used bombs and guns to attack police and soldiers who were defending it. Oh, um, so shit. keep that keep that number in mind. That this is the early 1900s. Two hundred fourteen thousand rubles. Yeah, I is, wonder what that. I wonder how much that would be like in in my brain terms. Yeah, know. who knows? <laughs> it's a lot of it's a lot of money. It's millions like, for sure. Yeah, like it's a lot of money. Yeah, okay. and, and that was before money was digital, so they couldn't they couldn't just be like, well, charge back, you know. They they actually got away with the coins and right. maybe maybe not even notes at that point, right? Because I mean that was 1907. The Russian government at that point was bizarre. So like at that point they were probably still just issuing coins and they right. probably barely had bank. Wow. So something funny. So your mind is is really interesting when you're a child, right? Like the things you imagine that things are and and just your imagination is a wild place when you're a child. And when I was a child and I heard rupees Rubles? as like currency uh, or rubles. Well, ru rupees is the currency of India. Yeah, we're rubles. I'm sorry. And when I when I heard that, I heard gems like rubies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like like that's what I imagined sure. their currency was was like tiny little gems. Yeah, and that if you went like mining and you found gems, yeah, you had a shitload of money. Yeah, that's what uh, I thought was going on for sure until I'm until right probably until probably high school. That's what I thought for. I mean, so this is you know at least a decade of my I, life. I was hoping you were going to say until last year. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> might have been until just now. No, just now. <laughs> yeah, just until just now. I thought that they were just passing around little little shiny red stones. You yeah, know, those little precious stones. <laughs> in Russia, they still trade in shells. Wow, which is a different culture, you know. I thought it was oil, but that's just me. <laughs> Well, um, do you guys want to talk about China and Japan? I have much less notes on them than even them combined than uh, than Russia or Germany. And I was hoping to get through it because it's not it's definitely not important to be a yep. episode. OK, let's do it. The uh, the the kind of the important part um, 
is that uh, China had just overthrew their monarchy, and they had gone through a long period of instability as well. I mean, uh, there's a lot of a lot we can get into with like the opium wars and stuff like that um, with uh, the UK. Um, they, but but effectively, right? China had was was in a very weak and unstable position at the beginning of World War One, um, and Japan was uh, freshly they were freshly an empire, right? Looking outwards um, and trying to like prove itself on the world stage. Um, and so uh, Japan actually fought on the side of the Allies, um, and the reason they did that is because they saw the Germans as weak and wanted to seize their holdings. And Germany happened to control a decent amount of land in territorial China as well. Um, they kind of had like the equivalent of uh, French Vietnam, except they had like a Chinese version of that, right? Where they had colonized a large, not, I mean, not large compared to China itself, but a large uh, portion of land there, right? And Japan wanted to seize all of that. Um, now, would this be in mainland China? Or are we talking about like island territory? No, mainland China. So like Japan, uh, Germany actually had a colony there. I think it was like a lease situation where China had leased it to them. I guess um, uh, there's there's one called the uh, Hiachu Bay leased territory. Was it was it Hong Kong? Because um, Hong Kong's been passed from country to country to country over the past like two hundred years. So. Yeah, they um they wanted to they, yeah it's Hong Kong had um uh was Great Britain right and so Germany kind of wanted to copy them and actually a lot of what World War One and World War Two is is kind of about too is the fact that um Germany and Italy and Japan they wanted they they saw the big power right and they wanted that so you know germany was at you know, before world war one even trying to basically copy the U uk and france and seize territory in asia um and i was actually wrong it's not a huge territory it's only 213 square miles so i mean that's not giant, but it's big enough and it's part of mainland china to um you know to be attractive to japan and also to really piss off the chinese when japan decided they wanted to hold on to it um spoiler alert they did not hold on to it um uh the 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 treaty that they signed at the end of world war one even did not give them that territory but it did let them take a lot of the german holdings and really set the stage for japan as an empire rather than just as a nation and that's about all i have i i, I kind of see that what's happening in asia as, as as important for setting the seeds for world war ii um i mean asian history Obviously, the history of China is very, very long. Uh, the history of Japan is pretty long. Um, and I, to be quite honest, know less about it than the history of, you know, um, Western countries, I guess, broadly, right? Um, I, know a little I, bit, I know a little bit more about that side. Sure. Maybe you can fill in um, some details, too. But I, I, I guess I'll, I want to touch on it because I know more about those countries in World War II than I do about pre-World War II, right? Um, and so I kind of wanted to just give context because eventually we're going to come back to them and talk about what happened in World War II in Asia. Um, and so so uh, setting the stage with what's happening in China and Japan. Japan seizing European holdings, China being very weak um, and, and just strong enough to where they could say like, no, you can't take land that's literally part of mainland China. Um, but, uh, but, but 
you know, ceding to a lot of Japanese demands. Um, and uh, um, that's and that's kind of like how that that goes into World War II very well because I mean World War II in Asia is mostly a war between China and Japan. Yeah, and it's a pretty crazy one too. Yeah, for sure. There's lots of interesting there. So I mean, so I'm trying to just as a note, since we're we're nearing the end here, just as a note, all of these wars and problems that are going on right now are just continuations of the things that have been going on for the past 100 to 200 years. Sure. Um, so, you, you know, Russian, Ukraine, and um, we, we could even, I mean, literally every tiny war that's going on right now is happen is well, is because the, the middle east it dates back to uh yep, to, the, to, to hundreds of years ago with colonization and what have you yep the middle east stuff and you know china's posturing over hong kong um you know like like this is this stuff is not new the only thing that's new is the people that are involved and it's it's crazy. It's crazy. But that's kind of why, you know, the saying of, you know, history will repeat itself kind of comes from sure. is like this stuff does not go away. Um, and nobody really knows the best way to to fix the problems. Um, right. And, that's and I where think I'm really that. The one reason it's important to study history, it, I mean, it's not necessarily so that you can learn from your past mistakes, because, I mean, what the fuck am I supposed to do about Russia and Ukraine, right? I mean, I can't oh, for sure that situation at all. Me knowing about it is not going to help. Um, so, I mean, but I, I think if you're here, if you're listening and you got to the end of the episode, you at least have some innate sense that knowing about this stuff matters. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, and I think that trying to understand, um, what the people were doing, what, what kind of decisions they were making, that still helps you in some way today, right? Even it if will, you're not in a position of power. Yeah, it just goes back to context is extremely important. From the small things to the big things, context is very important. And if you're not paying attention to the context behind things, the only thing you are is misinformed. And and I think one of the reasons why we like doing, especially stuff like this with, you know, going over the wars and the things that we talk about is to get that context to you. Um you know, and as per always our disclaimer, we don't always know we may not say the exact thing. We may f fuck up a fact. We sure. may, whatever the case is, but, but we're, we're earnest in trying to give you context. Um, if not the, the overall hundred percent correct fact. Very true. Yeah. Let us know in the comments where we messed up because we inevitably did. Um, and, uh, I want to hear about it. Uh, please email me, uh, I think I'm rab at thepandapod.com. And if not, you can um, uh, email thepandapod at gmail.com or podcast at thepandapod.com and send your complaints there and they'll get forwarded to the appropriate party. 
Well, I think that's been everything. Um, it's been uh, fun talking to you guys about this. Yeah, I feel well informed once again. I, every time we do one of these history episodes, I'm like, I know nothing. I mean, that doesn't surprise any of us, but, wow, you know. Jesus, you really went for it. Yeah, um, they know plenty of things. Not all of us are history smart, like Ram. But it is interesting, and I look forward to hearing more the next time. I don't know much outside of, like, our own history, and that makes me feel really, really dumb. So. I don't feel like I even know my own history, so. Well, you didn't know about the War of 1812 or the Mexican-American War. <laughs> what, do you ex- what do you expect when he got a circle on his test? <laughs> I thought a circle was a good grade. Who knows? Yeah, at least it wasn't a square. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll we will all circle back to this topic one day after um uh some some intermissions. I'm I'm sure people want to hear about other things besides just uh what Stalin was thinking. So um let's uh let's let's move on uh to new topics and I'll talk to you all next week. Thanks Bye. Thank you. Bye.